and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have made them become more real to us so that we can draw more power out of them. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and this is a short cast just to get us ready for the Book of Esther, just kind of an introduction to the Book of Esther, and then we explore it more in depth uh, with author Heather uh, Moore, who has written a, a historical fiction book about Esther. I think you'll find that interview fascinating. So this is just kind of a short interview to the story of Esther. The book of Esther is an interesting book. There are some unique things about it. Uh, one of those things is that the name of God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. And many people think that that may be the reason for another interesting thing. It's the only book of the Old Testament that there was no fragment of in uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, maybe they had a copy of it and that fragment didn't survive. It just didn't survive at all. But uh, the fact that there's not even a teeny little fragment of it suggests that they didn't have that book and it's likely that the reason was that it wasn't accepted as scripture because it didn't talk directly about god others will argue and i lean this way that uh really there's a, a literary device being employed here and that is that god is directing all of the events of esther but he's doing so in a way that isn't easily seen by those who don't have eyes to see so for example we have the character of Mordecai, a really interesting character. I love Mordecai, and uh, and I particularly love him in the VeggieTales version, that, that uh, paw pee. But anyway, he, or great, I mean, uh, he, uh, Mordecai must be at least a somewhat, from a somewhat prominent Jewish family. He ends up in the capital uh, working for the king. And so the capital in Persia at this time is Susa. So we'll uh, kind of help us all remember to, understand the book of Esther, that the Persians were kind of awakened by uh, the Babylonians as they sought the help of the Persians and the Medes to overthrow Assyria. And uh, the Persians came together, tribes that have been fighting each other, they came together to help Babylon and then realized how powerful they were. And under Cyrus, they overthrow Babylon and established the largest empire at the time. Uh, and for many, for a very long time, they're the largest empire that ever existed. Uh, so they have a couple of capitals, and one of those is Susa, and that's where this story takes place. And the remains of Susa have been found. This is all in Iran. Iran is where uh, the homeland of Persia is. Uh, and uh, the remains of Susa are spectacular. This was an amazing and fantastic capital, and uh, the palace is, is incredible. And uh, so that's that palace, a very real place that we can you could look online for remains of the palace of Susa and see horse heads and all sorts of things like that. Uh, I mean, ivory horse heads, uh, a beautiful, amazing uh, palace. And that's where this takes place. And we know that uh, some of those prominent Jewish families that had been deported into Babylon by the Babylonians are then deported from Babylon into the capital of Persia by the Persians. That's what ends up happening to Daniel. That's why the book of Daniel that we'll get to later, a part of it is set with the Babylonian king and part of it is set with the Persian king because he's taken from one place to the other. And so it would seem that that probably happened to Mordecai's family as well. And so Mordecai's family ends up, and that's Esther's family, uh, they end up in the capital of Persia, and Mordecai is working for the king. And I think that's, a, that's an interesting story, and it's, it's part of this kind of God directing things. It so happens, as it were, that Mordecai would end up in that palace. It so happens, uh, and, and that's the way the author writes it, it happens that one night the king is not able to sleep. And as a result, he says, read to me from my old day book. 
you know, the records of what happened. Oh, yeah, now I remember that Mordecai saved me one day. We should do something about Mordecai. And that ends up being a key element of the story. Uh, and the author says it happens, but it's not a happenstance, right? It's That's his way of saying God is directing things. You may not recognize his hand, but his hand is there for those who will recognize it. And that's one of the major themes. And, and some people think part of the way he does that is by not mentioning God specifically, but asking the reader to fill in the lines so that the reader gets good at filling in the lines in their life. Oh, this is God doing things. And I think that's worth thinking about. Um, it's also interesting that uh, Esther ends up marrying um, the king. So typically, you don't just have random, you know, randomly select a queen. Uh, now, let's keep in mind that the king of Persia would have had many wives, a large harem, many wives. But he has one, Vashti, who offends him, and he kind of has this contest. Typically, what would happen is you, uh, you've married someone who is from a powerful family, either inside your kingdom or a powerful family outside of your kingdom. And these marriages are always a, a kind of a political alliance. And so it's interesting that he's not looking for that kind of political alliance. It may be because he's deposed one queen who is from a powerful family, and he may have a civil war on his hands. If he chooses a queen from another powerful family and then those two families start fighting each other or something like that, we don't know. But it seems likely that there's some kind of political pressure that's going on that causes him to do this. And some of it is that just make sure everyone knows I'm king and the queens need to do what I say uh, and I can choose a queen from anywhere. But there's probably some more going on. And uh, so it's really interesting that someone would be chosen who is clearly not from a powerful family because she's Jewish. And there aren't going to be really powerful Persian families uh, that are Jewish because they're Jewish, not Persian, right? It's also interesting that he doesn't know that she is Jewish. She uh, And we talk about this with, uh, with Heather for whatever reason. And some people feel like Esther must, may not be a faithful Jew because they can't tell she's Jewish. So she must not be a practicing Jew. Or you can take the approach. She's inspired to hide this until the correct time. In the end, I really don't know. But I suspect that she's inspired to do this as, as Mordecai is. And I talk about that with Heather. Um, I think it's it's also interesting that uh, we have to keep in mind that the king has many wives. And so Esther doesn't get to dine with him all the time. So asking him to dine with her twice, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, and he gives in to her uh, because of the way she's going about it. But she's putting herself on the line. And we should also realize just as, as uh, Haman uh, is... Uh, engaged in a pretty powerful political game, right? As he's trying to destroy Mordecai and all the Jews, and he's doing that partially for his own gain. So he's in this powerful political game, uh, but he's a very powerful figure. For Esther to come out and reveal herself as part of a, a look down upon, or certainly at least not a, a popular and important group in the kingdom, and one that Haman is persecuting, and intentionally then pit herself against Haman, She's entered into this game, and this is dangerous for her. I think we don't give her enough credit how wrong this could go for her. She's just asked the king for a favor, another favor, and yes, she's trying to do something for him, but she's approached him without permission. And, and when you have a whole bunch of queens, you know, if it's just your one wife, then that's one thing. But when you have a whole bunch of queens, that's how the kingdom is going to run. Um, so she's approached him without permission. She's asked for uh, his time a couple nights in a row, and then she's going to pit herself against his most trusted advisor. That's high stakes game, right? That's really high stakes. But Esther is willing to enter into that to do something for her people. And that brings us back to this, this theme that uh, God is behind the scenes on this. When uh, Mordecai says to her at the time where the, the Jews are being persecuted by Haman and they're in need, he says, for such a time as this, 
you've been raised up, right? And and that's the idea. Oh, now we understand why you're in this position. Uh, and uh, this idea that, okay, God has been behind this all the time, but now we recognize it and see it, and it's time to do something about it. And Esther trusts in God and acts on it, which is a fantastic thing and a fantastic heroine. Uh, although, again, some people don't think so because she's hiding her, her Jewishness. I, I'm not, I, I, I lean the other way. I think that uh, Esther is a fantastic heroine, and she certainly does put her life on the line and comes through for her people in an amazing and miraculous way. Uh, that I can only attribute to God being behind all of it. And that's a, a, a wonderful story, and it's it's worth our understanding. Let me just see here if there was anything else that I was thinking that I should mention in this. Um, uh, no, that's probably it. Uh, uh, well, I, I, maybe I'll just end on this. It's not an important thing for understanding the story, but it's a fun thing. Um, Jewish holidays, there is an important Jewish holiday, one that many people celebrate that's not uh, a, a festival that's ordained in the, the Law of Moses. In fact, there are two. One of those is Hanukkah, uh, and that celebrates an event that happens even after this time period during the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, the other is what is known as Purim, and that's uh, the one that celebrates Esther's bravery and the uh, delivery of the Jews from this persecution while they're in Persia. Uh, and so it's kind of equivalent to Halloween. People dress up. Uh, there are treats that you make. One of the favorite treats is this kind of triangular shaped uh, pastry called Haman's ears. So you get to eat Haman's ears because he's such a bad guy. You can eat his ears, uh, that kind of a thing. But uh, Purim is uh, uh, an important and fun Jewish holiday, like I said, kind of like Halloween uh, that celebrates this. But just the fact that there is a, a holiday that has lasted so long to celebrate it lets you know how important it was. What a big deal it was, as one more time, many Jews were on the verge of extinction, and uh, God delivered them through the hand of the really impressive uh, and um, self-sacrificing woman, Esther. And I'm grateful for that and for this, what we can learn from her story as, as we contemplate all of these little events that I've talked about just now and the things that I talked about with Heather in the next episode of this podcast.